everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. We can't know the lives our pets had before they met us, so we have to imagine what made them who they are. Tell us your pet story with hashtag MyUnspokenPet. Today we're going to be speaking with Sheila Aragon of Mutt Match LA. Their mission is very simple, rescue as many dogs as possible. Mutt Match LA is committed to rescue, rehabilitation, and responsible rehoming of abandoned, homeless, and unwanted dogs of all breeds. Let's get started. Hi, Sheila. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Wonderful. We're so happy to have you on. Yeah. And I know a lot of people probably in Los Angeles are super familiar with Mutt Match. It's a great organization for sure. And somewhat an organization that we've loved to n- learn more about and, um, and loved working with in the past, but wondering how it all got started. It's something that I feel like was in my blood to do. It took a, a long time to figure that out, but I grew up loving animals and in my home, you know, bringing home strays was normal. We had a house full of animals. I started when I lived in LA, I lived in Los Feliz. I worked at a literary agency in Beverly Hills and around the corner was the Amanda Foundation. And so I would go over on my lunch break and I would walk dogs and just visit and play with them. And eventually I started doing more. I started fostering over on the weekend and getting my toes wet kind of in in how working with rescues. From there, I started volunteering at LA Animal Services doing their mobile adoptions and learning about how that works and realizing that there had to be a better way to get these animals into homes because a lot of, we saw a lot of dogs being returned or a lot of animals, cats as well being returned. And that's really the beginning where it started really there. Of course, it was a passion. And so I kept at it. I don't even know. How does a mobile adoption work? They take dogs from, well, at that time, the shelter, I mean, the LA Animal Services, they would take animals from the shelter to, at this time, they were doing it in a park over on Laurel Canyon set up a little adoption area. People could come and meet dogs and cats and they would be able to adopt them right on the spot. And, you know, that doesn't always work out well. We've spoken with so many organizations too. And I feel like everyone has has a different idea of how adoption should happen. But I think overall, I mean, finding the right match is, is perfect and it shouldn't just be like, well, here's a dog and you're looking for a dog. We... That's something that we actually really pride ourselves on. We have a really high retention rate. And I think that that is because, and and really, you know, when you talk about success of a rescue, in my opinion, your success is based on, yes, your adoptions, but also 
your retention rate, keeping those animals in the home. Because if you're adopting out a bunch of animals and a bunch are coming back, that to me is not really success. A lot of times those animals are readopted and then those numbers will be recounted, which, you know, is a whole other subject. It is something that we really pride ourselves on is taking our time to do the right match and make sure that this dog is the right match for this home and this family and based on many different criteria. But that is something that is really, really important. I mean, we're lucky that we have our own facility so where our dogs are housed. And so we can be a little bit pickier. Well, not pick it, just take our time more. But it is something that is one of our biggest criteria is making sure that the match is the right match. Hence the name, Mutt Match. I don't know if you are a big fan of like streaming shows, but there's this one that I got so into. It's um, that came out recently. It's like an Indian matchmaking show. I never realized how much I wanted a matchmaker to find me the perfect person. So I can imagine it's the exact same for like the perfect dog. It is very similar. Funny you should say that because I, for a short time, I worked with, uh, her name is Patty Stangler, and this is completely off subject. Patty is the millionaire matchmaker. Yeah, and so that's funny that you should say that because it is very similar. I mean, obviously, there's some things that are different, but it's Really, like I work with energy. It's, energy is really important. And so I am very hands-on with our all of our adopters and, and our dogs because I need to see that dynamic. I need to see how the energy of the person and the energy of the dog match. It's really a, a, an intuition and a, just a feeling I usually sit down with the adopters before and talk to them about what it is they're looking for in a companion. And oftentimes the dog that they come to meet isn't even the dog that they actually adopt because in talking to them and hearing what they want and just sensing their energy and their, the energy of their home and their activities and just, it, it may not be the dog that they saw a picture of. It might be a completely different dog. So there is really a method to how we match dogs. It's not just, oh, I saw this cute dog and I want to adopt that dog. Well, that cute dog may not be the right match for you. It is involved. You know, people think, oh, it's so easy to just adopt that dog. It isn't for us because we really take the time to make sure it's the right match. Well, I feel like on that show too, like all these people come out and they're like, this is what I want. And then in the end, they actually end up with something totally different because in your head, you're like, I am this person. In my head, I am athletic and I am amazing. Some of that, like there's, I'm sure a little bit of like a grain of truth there, but also it's like, okay, but let's get real about who you really are and what your day-to-day looks like. Like what you need might not actually, but what you want. Right, exactly. And it works that way with dogs. I mean, there are so many amazing dogs in the shelter that ended up there simply because they weren't the right match for that person or that home. Not because there's anything wrong with the dog. 
You know, we actually, it's funny because we just posted on our Instagram today, Bella, her name is Bella. She's a beautiful, gorgeous, the people who adopted her did had her DNA tested. She is a Dobie Pyrenees mix, which I could make money. She's big, but I could bet money with people that this that this dog is a, not a Pyrenees or is a Pyrenees because she looks nothing like a Pyrenees. You know, we're not always right. I mean, we don't always get it right. We're human. We do our best, but we don't always get it right. And they adopted her when she was about six months. She was smaller, of course. She grew bigger and she got more energy. Sadly, there was an accident. It it wasn't her fault. It was a tragic accident. They just couldn't get over it. They she during the whole COVID thing, they weren't taking her out as much. They weren't socializing her. And she's a puppy. She's a year old. And she accidentally ran into their other dog who was a senior, a Rottweiler, and he old guy, very sweet guy, and broke his leg. And sadly, yeah, they had to euthanize him and which, you know, broke our hearts. It really did. But it, it wasn't her fault that they just couldn't get over the trauma. And so they returned her. And that's, you know, not really her fault. Wasn't really had anything to do with the match. They're just, my point is, there's a lot of really great dogs in the shelter that are there simply because they weren't the right match. And so we want to try to, we don't, well, our dogs would come back to us, but we don't want that to happen. I mean, we want dogs to stay in the home forever. It's hard to think that, I mean, even like that you could test a dog's DNA that much and still be like, I can't. I mean, I understand because I know the sentiment that goes into, especially once you raise a dog all the way until they're a senior and then having to deal with that heartbreak. I know that that must have been just super tragic and terrible for them. I devastating. It was it was heartbreaking, but it wasn't her fault. She didn't understand that she did something, you know, tragic. But the other thing was exactly that they had their, and I warn people when you are doing DNA, you know, just be prepared. They also used that against her. They said that they didn't want a Dobie if they had known she was a Dobie. I mean, we don't do DNA tests on our dogs. It it was just tragic all the way around, but she's beautiful and she's a great dog. So we'll find her the right home. Yeah, we'll find her the right home, but. So we just move on. That's the great thing about dogs is they just move on. <laughs> That's shocking. I never even thought about like the downside to a DNA test of like the stigma that you would now have in your head about all the breeds that are in your dog. Whereas otherwise you'd be like, well, they're just energetic. We just got another, I mean, they're not thinking of returning him, but he's a cute little puppy. He looks like a little spaniel. It was a litter of puppies that we got out of somebody's backyard. And they, our friend that picked them up, met the mom and said that she looked like a collie. Well, they did a DNA test on him. And this is like a 20 pound dog. It has some, he has some pit bull. And I was like, you know, I just, I don't see it, but it, you got to be careful because if it turns out to be something that you're going to have stuck in your head, then that might be. An issue. They don't have an issue with it, but some people might. 
these days, I feel like all mixed dogs have so many different parts in them. My sister, Samantha, she has this huge, fluffy, he almost looks like a golden retriever. And that's what we thought he was. We ended up doing a DNA test and he was like dachshund. He was husky. He was, I think he had 10% golden retriever and that's exactly what he looks like. So she's like, it's just so funny. Like how many different sort of like, how many species can be in your one dog? And you wouldn't even know it. Think about all the canine breeds that are out there. You know, it's funny because my dog, Daisy, who was really the love of my life and a big catalyst for how and why I got into rescue, she was a boxer mix. Well, at least that's what I thought. She was a boxer mix. She could have had Ridgeback. She could have had Pitbull. I don't know. I didn't do a DNA back then. We didn't really do But I used to tell people that she was a hairless poodle. Because people would ask me, like, what is she? I'm like, I just made it up. I'm like, she's a hairless poodle. And this is, um, and Daisy is the boxer, because I did read a little bit about your stories. Is Daisy the boxer that you rescued? Um, you saw her in a yard. She was really emaciated. Was that rescue? I don't know if you maybe want to tell a little, a little everybody or everybody a little bit about her, her kind of her journey, because I know that was a really big part as, as to your journey into animal welfare. Daisy really was the reason why I got into rescue. I mean, I really enjoyed volunteering and probably would have continued to volunteer, but I, and I never really thought about making it a, well, I mean, it's not really a career. She didn't make any money at it, but I, I never really thought about doing it full time and changing my life completely until Daisy came along. And I had a dog at the time. I had a little Shih Tzu and I lived in Las Vegas in my apartment. She, Daisy, lived across the street in this, they just really used her as a yard ornament. I mean, she was there to bark at people and keep people away. And But the truth was that she was barking at them because she wanted attention. She's a boxer. I mean, boxers love affection. And attention. Yeah. So I would go over and I would give her a trip. But yeah, they didn't take care of her. I mean, she was, you know, emaciated and they just, there were two older women and they didn't, you know, they just had her there for protection, really. So I'd give her treats and I would go over and talk to her and she would, they had those metal bars, you know, that are, I don't know, four inches apart or whatever. And she would, stick her arm, you know, paw through trying to grab me. And we just fell in love. I mean, honestly, like she and I were just so in love with each other. I didn't think at the time that, you know, I had a small dog and one day and the the niece lived, the people, the women had a niece that lived with them. She used to let Daisy out, just like run around on the street if I saw her, I would get her and take her back there. And one day I said, you know, she, one day she's not going to come back. I mean, I just told her that one day she's not going to come back. I mean, this niece had some mental illness issues and I don't think she really understood, but I would sometimes see Daisy wearing like clothes, like boxer pants and or boxer shorts. I mean, and so one day she let her out. I was happened to be standing on my porch that day and she saw me and she 
made a beeline just straight for me, just like straight for me. I just said, you know what? Today is the day. She's not going back. And I kept her. I mean, they even saw that I had her and I kept her and I took her to a mobile adoption. I called around different rescues asking, you know, how I could find her a home because again, you know, I lived in a one bedroom apartment with a large apartment, but still I lived in an apartment. I didn't think that I could have a large dog and I called around and found this rescue and I can't remember the name of the rescue now, but they said, you know, bring her down to PetSmart. It was in Pasadena. You can do a courtesy show. You can leave her for the day and we'll see if we can adopt her out. I met this woman. Her name is Andrea Lewis. And Andrea is today one of my dearest friends. And she gave me this whole education about how it would work. They, I would leave her. They would get applications. They would basically try to find her a home. But and it could happen that day. So I would never see her again. And I couldn't do it. I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't leave her. I just couldn't do it. That was the day that I decided that no matter what it took, I was going to keep this dog. And that's how it really started in rescue. Like I started volunteering more at adoptions and I started finding dogs suddenly like all these dogs would come to find them on the street and I would find them homes. Yeah. I remember this dog named Madison that I found one down in Los Feliz on the street and she had a prolapsed uterus, which I had no idea at that time what that was. I thought this dog was dying. So I called animal control. They came to get her It was around the holidays and I had gone back home to visit my family. I came back, went to the shelter and she was still there. So I got her out of the shelter and I found her a home and it just kind of like one by, that's how it started one by one, like one dog at a time. And then it just kind of grew and suddenly I had eight dogs in my apartment. (laughs) So Daisy was really the catalyst for really getting into like just deeper into rescue. I enjoyed volunteering, but at that point it became more serious where I would go to the shelter and that's how match actually the name came because I would spend hours at the shelter meeting people, like talking to people who were looking to adopt of what they were looking for. I would try to find a dog for them, you know, in the shelter and my friend said to me one day, you're, you're like a Met Matcher. And I said, that's, that's it. That's the name. That's how it became Met Match. We had to add the LA, Met Match LA, because there was already a nonprofit called Met Match. I think they were in Texas, I want to say. So we had to add the LA. And that's sort of how it all started and how Daisy was the catalyst. Sadly, I lost her suddenly, which was one of the worst days of my life to kidney failure. She was very special. She was such a, I mean, I know a lot of people say that about their dogs and just how amazing they are and, and, and they are, but you know, Daisy was that for me. She was just so amazing. Such a great dog. 
Well, I mean, and to even think too, like that is such a special bond where you just can't, you're like, I'm going to work my whole life around this dog to make this work. I mean, that speaks to everything that you're doing too. It's like, you found your perfect match. So now you're like, other people need to feel the same way. <laughs> and look at the things you, that you accomplished once you found your perfect match. It wasn't just finding my match. It was really about finding my passion and realizing how much I loved rescuing animals. I mean, it was something I grew up doing. I was now completely responsible for these animals. I mean, I would pull them out of the shelter and I was completely financially responsible for them. I loved doing that. I loved being able to change their lives and give them a better life. And so it really, like Daisy helped me find that passion. It was, I don't think I, I don't know if, if, I hadn't, if Daisy didn't come along, if I would have changed, if my life would have gone that direction. I don't know. You know, I feel really, really lucky to be one of those people who can honestly say, I found my purpose in life. You know, there are a lot of people who have jobs. I mean, I did for years who love their jobs, but it's not their purpose. You know, they haven't found that purpose that they would do anything to do. I mean, my man, I mean, yes, she was my match, but she also was, or is the reason why I am who I am today, for sure. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Sydney can probably speak to this even more than me, but like, I feel like it's so true. Like all these animals, they, they teach you, each one can teach you something totally different and, and guide you right to like where you need to be kind of. Um, kind of give you a reality check too. So I think more than anything, I think that's what I get. It's like, hey, you know how stressed you are? Like, that's not a big deal. Education is also, you know, part of what we do when we are matching. But yeah, we, people always, the first thing they want to know is what's the story? You think, what's this dog's story? And yes, you know, they do have a story. But I find that sometimes, people get caught up in the story rather than just who the dog is right there in front of them. I tell people, you know, they don't, the, one of the greatest things about dogs is they don't carry baggage. If they are harmed severely or they might be afraid of men or, you know, they might be, they got hit by a broom or they might be afraid of brooms or, you know, they have those, sensation, those memories, they don't feel sorry for themselves. They don't carry that emotional baggage of where they came from with them into their new lives. They just move on and they live in the moment. And that is something so powerful that animals can teach us as humans is it's really not that big of a deal. You know, you, if you just live in the moment and just continue on with your life. I mean, that's what's so great about them. We have a little dog that was brought to us because he was biting everybody. And even when he got here, like he was horrible and he wanted to bite everybody. And now he is a happy-go-lucky puppy because we have let him, well, I mean, we've given him you know, guidance, but he can 
he has and he has boundaries, but he can just relax and be a dog. He doesn't have to worry about the things that he had to worry about before. I mean, there's a whole education that goes into do it, but people often get caught up in the in the story of the dog. And I get it, you know, as humans, I I get it, but I think they have to be careful not to put their human emotion onto the dog and feel sorry for them or you know dogs like valor paralyzed dog he's the happiest dog he's just he's he's like a speed demon in his wheels which cuddly helped us get by the way we're so grateful for and he doesn't feel sorry for himself so why should i feel sorry for him you know he's just a dog we let him be a dog we just let him he plays with the other dogs he gets in, he digs holes, he plays in the pool. I mean, he just gets to be a dog. He doesn't care about what happened to him in the past. Right now, in this moment, he is happy and his needs are being met. And that's what matters. I'm not going to put that, you know, oh, look at him. I feel so sorry for him. He's, I'm not going to do that. Granted, I grew up with a paraplegic brother. And I think that that really taught me how you need to move forward and you need to just, you know, get through that obstacle. And then, I mean, it's a lot different being a human in a wheelchair than it is for a dog. But I think that that was sort of the beginning of teaching me about special needs dogs who I love. I love special needs dogs. I'll always have a special needs dog. They're, to me, they're just so magical because of that, because they just live in the moment and they just have fun, you know, and and just be dogs. And I love that. Definitely. I know we just got this like amazing, the cutest little video of this like foster. Well, so it's a foster family, but there's this young boy and he's jumping up and down in the video and being like, so, I mean, Django, this dog has no back legs, I think. Uh, he was born with a S-shaped spine, so his back legs are paralyzed. Um, but he, I'll let you tell it, Bridget, but he's, oh my, this video is so great. Well, yeah, the video is so cute because this young boy is jumping up and down and like telling the camera basically like, don't be sad for him. He's fine. He gets around. He goes faster than the other dogs. As he like runs off of like the video camera, like little puppy. And that's so awesome that he can teach that little boy that. That's so, it's such a life experience education because he's experiencing it right there in front of them that you don't have to feel sorry for them, that they can be completely happy and lovable. And special needs dogs are just, they're so mad. They're so amazing. The first uh, special needs dog I ever got was. South LA Shelter, and this was years ago, South LA Shelter, uh, one of the ACTs came to me holding this tiny little furry puppy and said, can you please take this puppy? We're going to euthanize him. And I said, why? You know what? He was blind. He had, he had eyes, but he was totally blind. And then I realized that he was also deaf. So his name was Keller, and he was one of the smartest dogs I've ever had. He was amazing, and he was just amazing. He was like trait. When he met somebody new, 
he would use his nose like an elephant. You know how elephants use their trunks to like smell something like if they like really slowly, like they're tracing it and really like taking in that scent. That's what he would do with somebody new. He would just slowly like trace them and like smell them. And it was, it was, he was amazing. He was completely, I mean, he had his use of his legs, but it was just, he had no sight or, or hearing, but truly one of the smartest dogs I've ever had. And that was when I first started falling in love with special needs dogs. I've always had, I have a blind Chihuahua that I got from South LA, Hazel. Hazel's now about 16. The smartest little, I used to take her hiking with us. I would just leash her to me, you know, tether her to me. And she would go hiking with Daisy and my pit bull and she loved it. Yeah. So there, that's a whole other, you know, I would, if I, if I wasn't thinking of adopting animals out, I would do more special needs dogs. But the truth is, is that it is harder to find them homes. We have a little dog, Stevie, um, Stevie, the wonder dog. He is a little Pomeranian and he was born without any eyes at all. There's no eyes. And we've had him on our website, but it's harder. No, we don't have people beating down our doors for special needs dogs. I don't think people understand that even even when they are born with these disabilities, that dogs, cats, all kinds of animals, they have this incredible ability to just adapt to what their situation is. You know, an animal loses its leg, it adapts to being a tripod within a matter of weeks. Whereas, you know, humans maybe take a little bit longer and maybe that's where that prejudice or maybe where that idea comes from that it takes a long time but dogs and animals alike adapt so quickly to anything that they are thrown at in life but again it goes back to just letting them be dogs. i mean of course you have to protect them and you have to make sure that you know they're not going to get into any danger but just allowing them to just be dogs i mean stevie from the moment i got him he was a puppy i let him play with the other puppies, you know, and experience that. And now today he has no, he has no fear of other dogs. He goes out in the play yard and plays with them. And so it goes back to, yeah, not putting that emotional, that human emotion onto them and just letting them be dogs. And they will figure it out. They always do. Because as you said, they adapt so well. At this point, it feels like COVID is a way of life. But yeah, I'm wondering how things have been going for you over the past several months and and how the rescue's been going um, with so many things changing and, and the world ever evolving. For adoption-wise, it's been really great. We adopted out a lot of dogs, a few of our long-term dogs, which was amazing and we we're so, so grateful for. I mean, we couldn't keep up with adoptions. It was insane. I've never experienced anything like that. It was really insane. We had like one, we had three lab puppies. We had over 200 applications for them. We've been here for 10 years. I moved out to Antelope Valley. My father, who was my best friend in the whole world and really my first mentor. And my father was really the one who was a huge animal lover and would bring home dog. He brought home a goat once that he found and lived with our dog and thought he was a dog, Billy, Billy the goat. Yeah, my dad was just a huge, huge animal lover. And so that's where I really learned, you know, bringing home animals was just normal. 
And when he, when my dad was sick, I, I had a, I was a Pilates instructor previously and I had a Pilates studio and I was going back and forth. My Pilates studio was actually in a converted house that had a yard and I would bring my dogs with me to work and sometimes foster dogs and from LA to New Mexico where I'm from and to be with my dad because he was just too ill to travel. We talked a lot. My dad was a huge believer in dreams, following your dreams, listening to your dreams, just paying attention to, he used to say, you know, your first thought is God, you know, speaking to you about your dreams. So we talked a lot about that just through through my life. You know, that was a running theme for for my, for him, and and a big part of what I always got from him was you know follow your dreams. When he was sick and he was in the hospital, I promised him. You know, I hadn't really gotten into rescue totally and completely. I was still I had my Pilates studio and I was still doing it kind of part-time, but, but doing it. I mean, Match was already a nonprofit then, so I was doing it. But I promised him that I would live my life doing what it was that I was most passionate about. Because I think that was really his biggest wish for all, for, for all of his kids, you know, is that we live doing something that we really love doing. So it was a promise that I made to him. And then he passed away in 2009 and I moved, he died in, in March and I moved out to Antelope Valley in October, really to fulfill that dream, to build our own facilities so that we could have all of our dogs with us. And I was going to live there. Looking back, you know, I realize now it was also because I just needed to heal. I was just really difficult time in my life, really difficult. Losing him was devastating. I'd lost my mom when I was five, so I was raised by my dad. And looking back now, I realized that I really kind of needed to isolate myself. And Antelope Valley is definitely a place you can isolate yourself. So I moved out here to build our facility, which I've been out here for 10 years now. And we have just an acre and a quarter. We have 20 kennels. Our kennel, we have a licensed kennel with LA County or up to 50 dogs that we house. And I live. Yeah, I spent the last 10 years building that, building this facility. Now my landlord has decided that he wants to sell the property. So it is on the market and it is up for sale. It is not something that we are interested in buying for several reasons. So we have been given 60 days to move. November 1st is, uh, which is really just a few weeks away. And have I packed anything? No, I haven't packed anything because we have nowhere to go. We don't know where we're going to end up. We don't know what we're going to do. Luckily, my landlord has agreed that If the house doesn't sell, then we can stay. But when it sells, then we'll only have as long as the escrow takes. Literally, after November 1st, literally, we could have to move in 30 days if it's sold and escrow is 30 days. So 
I am, we are fundraising to try to raise funds to purchase our own property because the truth is I've lived three times in 10 years and I can't do it a fourth. I just, it will kill me. It's so much work to think about moving this entire facility. I had somebody out the other day who was, came out to assess and see what it would take to move our kennels and I think I had to take a nap after that. I was just so exhausted thinking about it. So that's where we're at. I mean, we don't, we want to buy our own property so that we don't, we're not faced with this again, rebuilding and then potentially having it taken away from us. I can't do it again. I, I just emotionally, mentally, I just won't live through it another, a second time. It will just be too difficult. So. That's where we're at. And that has, you know, it's a, it's a direct effect of COVID because so many people are selling their houses now a lot, especially California. And the real estate has, I mean, the sale of real estate has like tripled. And I don't think my landlord would be putting it up for sale if that weren't happening. So definitely, I think that we're, this is a direct effect of, of COVID just adds to how bad this year has already been. So we are looking, we we have found a property that we really love, seven acres. We would love to build not only our kennels for the rescue, but separate kennels for public boarding so that we can, because that's the other thing, you know, being able to be financially secure and just be able to afford it takes it takes a lot of money to run a facility let me tell you a lot and if we had public boarding then we could that money could support the rescue so that is why we're looking for something bigger than what we have now it's not big enough where we are now to do that it doesn't make any sense to move to a place the same size as we have now and not be able to have kennels, it doesn't make sense. Now is the opportunity for us to grow and to expand and hopefully save more lives and do more community programs. And so that's where we're at. We just need to raise the funds to do it because unfortunately, every penny that comes into the rescue goes into the dogs. So we don't have any savings. I don't pay myself a salary, so I don't have any money. I mean, and it sounds like such an amazing mission. I mean, I know for me, like some of our family dogs, like we'd go out of town and we'd have to board them and you you have no idea what's going on while they're being boarded. So it would be so wonderful to know that like they're being cared for by a rescue and and by all means, like one that's so thoughtful and, and careful about everything they do. I mean, I would feel so much better and more confident if, I, if that was something that were um, available. So we're working with you to try and and get you to your goal. I know it's going to be something that I were, we're really hopeful for because I know you've made your mark on the community and certainly we want you to make a bigger one. Absolutely. I'm certainly not done. I mean, I the, the, the reality is, and the sad thing is, is if we don't raise the money, then we will be forced to close because I can't sustain this. I have no way to do it. So if we can't raise it, then then yeah, we'll have to close. And that would be, you know, that not just for myself selfishly, but just 
it would be tragic because we have, I have spent 20 years, I've been doing this 20 years and the animals that we could potentially save, the, the things that we do offer to the community, you know, we support our homeless community here in Antelope Valley and spay and neuter and just other things that we want to do for the community and with the community, it would be really sad. It would be really sad to see rescue have to close. And what makes me just blows my mind is I think about you know, the money that people have raised, not that they don't deserve it. People have raised, you know, millions of dollars for things. Not that we're trying to raise millions of dollars. I'm just saying, like, they've done it. It is possible. So why can't we do it? So we're hopeful. I mean, we're very, very hopeful because closing isn't something that right now that we're even trying to allow ourselves to think. But it is a potential reality. So we do have to consider it. If we opened a boarding, it wouldn't just be boarding. I mean, we would want to do... You know, I, being in this 20 years, I know some really great trainers and I, Laura Nativo, who's a great friend of mine, and I would want to work with her to see how we can do boarding that is enriching for dogs. So they're not just boarded, you know, they're, while they're there, they're getting enrichment. I mean, who wants to leave their dogs just to sit in a kennel? You want to leave your dog and know that your dog is having the same vacation you are you know, enrichment is really important. And so we want to do not just a boarding facility, but a really special facility to offer. So that's our goal. I mean, and like you said, people have raised a lot more money for a lot sillier things um, and things that aren't making the world a better place. (laughs) Um, Certainly not saving lives. That woman, Elizabeth, I can't think of her last name off the top of my head. Elizabeth. She raised millions, literally millions of dollars for that company. She claimed to be able to, by with one drop of blood, be able to diagnose people or cure people, or I'm not sure exactly, but literally millionaires gave her money and it was all totally fake. I mean, granted, she's being prosecuted. But still, I think about it. I'm like, I've been doing this 20 years. I've proven that I can do this. If I can't raise it, the money, then I don't know. Something's something's wrong. I mean, we're behind you 100% and we're going to be working with you. I mean, because honestly, this is our mission. I mean, we want to see our rescues growing and doing amazing things in the world. And I mean, because we've seen that when they do have that little extra fuel or that facility that it it goes so far um, and so much further than, I mean, I think a lot of people realize, like I have never seen so many amazing economical things done. I mean, with such a small amount of, such a small budget. Our vet always tells me that. He's like, you rescues just amaze me. You amaze me at what you can do. You have to be resourceful. You definitely have to be, that's for sure. Not just us, but if you look at all the things that, amazing things that people are possibly or potentially could do if they had the ability, the money, the whatever. It always comes into money and that really sucks, but it does. 
but give them the ability and it's amazing what they can accomplish. So you're right. Like Cuddly is on the forefront of that for rescues, you know, creating a platform where we can actually grow and expand. We couldn't be more grateful for that opportunity. We're so excited for, for you guys to be hosting it, but also to help us continue our mission. It's really a wonderful thing. And I remember we didn't have social media when I started in rescue. We basically had smoke signals. That was how we did everything. And now to have something like Cuddly is just amazing. It's really amazing. So we're so grateful for you guys. We're grateful for you for sure. I mean, and you guys are the ones in it every day, living and breathing it and going to sleep at night, like excited for the next day. So it's a very exciting thing. I'm sure we'll find you, get you where you need to go. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I hope so. And thank you again for your hard work. I appreciate it. Well, we've got some kind of fun questions. It sounds like you have a full house, but I'm not sure if you've claimed any of the pets you have in your home as like personal pets. This is no, I'm not joking when I say this. I was one of those little girls who thought I want to live on a big piece of property with a bunch of animals. And for me, it was dogs because after my mom passed away and my brother had his accident, my, my dog was really like my emotional support. But I was one of those little girls who thought that. And look, here I am. So, like, sometimes I think about this, and this is more like, you know, like philosophical, but I think about this. And I think, you know, what my dad telling me, like, your first inspiration is your dream. Like, that's God speaking to you, telling you, we just don't listen. Oftentimes, we just don't listen to that. I literally remember thinking that when I was a little girl. Really may have been truly what I was what my life was meant to be about. Like I, when I was, this is kind of off sound, but when I was like 12 years old, one of my oldest brother had a, a stepdaughter my age and he had a, his, he and his second wife had a baby. And so I would come out to California in the summers and we would babysit. The two of us would babysit while they were working the baby. And they took us to Magic Mountain once for a, uh, you know, as a, treat or whatever. And I think I was like 12, 11, 12, something like that. And they let us each get back then you used to have those iron on transfer things on t-shirts and they'd have these kiosks, you know, that you could, they probably still have them. You could choose a t-shirt and choose a decal and they'd iron it on right there. I don't remember what Donna, the, who was my age, I don't remember what she got. She had a younger sister. No, I don't remember what Karen got. Karen was a little one, probably like some cartoon or something. Donna, who was my age, got Sean Cassidy because Sean Cassidy was popular then. And I, at 12 years old, I kid you not, I got one that said, the more I know men, the better I like my dog. I, this has been my life. So we have a couple of questions. So you can pick whatever pet you'd like for this, for the questions to apply to. If your dog was president, what would be the first thing they did? Charlie is my lab pit bull mix. 
he would make it mandatory that everybody sleep in until at least 10 o'clock. Nothing starts until 10 o'clock. Yes, Charlie Bear. Everybody, no, nothing starts until 10 a.m. Okay, so what is the naughtiest thing your pet has done? Dexter, my little hound. He ate a brand new pair in the box, brand new pair of Manalo Blonics. That was years ago when my life was completely different. Now I don't, my foot probably wouldn't even fit in a pair of Manalo Blonics because I'm always in sneakers. But yeah, that's probably, yeah, he ate a pair of brand new, never worn in the box, Manalo Blonics. Well, so for our last one, and it's a little bit harder, but if you had to pick one life motto, what would it be? Probably to listen to your dreams. I mean, that pretty much has been a running theme in my life, you know, is not to be afraid to dream and to listen to those dreams. That would be my motto. Yeah, that would be it. Listen to your dreams. That's so great. I know. I feel like as adults, like you tend to start forgetting or... You get distracted. I think you just get so busy. Yeah, you get so busy with life that you forget sometimes. And how to, like, I know I've met people who are like, oh, yeah, I used to, you know, really want to do whatever it was. It's, it's hard. It is hard. Life gets busy. But I think dreams are so, so important. I, it really was probably my dad's motto in life listen to your dream well sheila it's been so wonderful talking to you thank you ladies i'm so honored to to be asked thank you well we will talk to you soon i'm sure all right thank you have a good day it was so wonderful speaking to sheila of mutt match la today about everything from finding your perfect match in love and with dogs and also following your dreams. Sheila's definitely following her dreams and we love that she's gonna take the next step with getting this piece of land. Um, if you wanna learn a little bit more about her and Mutt Match LA, you can check our show notes or our blog. And be sure to rate, like, and subscribe this podcast and be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly. that's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks guys. <laughs>